So good morning. We are, uh, as, as everyone's coming back, we're, con we're continuing with our series on the assurance of our salvation this morning. We kicked it off last week by talking about the general need, or perhaps more accurately said that the general urgency to help people. People as in help our friends, our families, and our loved ones, and possibly even our strangers to uh, recognize the current situation that they are in and the need for life, eternal life, as in the need for salvation. It's similar to a group of people going on a, a rafting, a nice fun rafting boat ride down the river. Have you guys done rafting before, whitewater rafting? No? It's, it's kind of fun. Uh, it looks dangerous, but there's different degrees, so it's kind of, kind of fun. So as they're having fun going down the river and they're not realizing there is a fatal cliff coming. That's approaching. So God has called us to help people realize or to tell people that, hey, you need to stop and pull aside. Otherwise, this fun ride that you're on, you're going to go over the cliff and you're going to die. It's the same thing as, um, I know you, I love movies, so I have to include a movie uh, illustration in here. Just like when you're watching a cheap horror movie, a B-rated horror movie, you know, someone's running from the bad guy, and they go in the house, they lock the door, and as they're backing up, looking at the door, but we all know the bad guy's in the house, right? Behind them. So it's the same thing as, as these people on this uh, raft. We can see what's happening. They don't know it. As in, we know there's a bad guy inside the house, so we want to scream out and let them know. Sometimes they will listen. Because by the time they realize the cliff is coming, it's too late, right? Same thing as that cheap horror movie. Sometimes they realize that the bad guy is also inside the house with them. It's too late because they already locked the door, bolted it up three times. There's no way of getting out. So it's, um, it's, it's good for us to help people recognize that. You know, some may downplay the dangers by saying that we're, we're, we're not risk takers. We're playing it safe, right? We, we're, we're not enjoying life. We're not living life on the edge. This has nothing to do with being a risk taker or not. There are just two options. One leads to death and destruction. The other leads to eternal life. I was joking last week about um, a dying person uh, um, not accepting the water of life, instead waiting for something better to come along. Uh, there's a better option or what have you. There's only two options. You, you take the water of life, or you're going to die. I'm not being a pessimist. And it has nothing with being an, a pessimist or an optimist. Uh, as in, the people, those on that raft, they're going to die, right? Being a pessimistic is... is uh, I don't know what I wrote down on here. All those people on the raft, they're thinking that they're being optimistic about life, but they don't realize or not accepting that the cliff is coming. Right? They're having so much fun. It's like, oh, there cannot be a, a, a death, fatal cliff coming up where I'm going to die. We cannot and should not take the choice between life and death lightly. We shouldn't look at it from the standpoint, well, I'm an optimistic, so I don't see the cliff coming. Or you're a pessimistic person, so you should get off the boat. Staying on that raft, as an example that I was trying to say, and hoping that fatal cliff is not coming, it's not about being an optimist. Hoping that things will turn out okay, or hoping that death and destruction is not waiting for us, optimism will kill us when it comes to the matter of life and death. 
In this case, optimism will kill us when we're ignoring what's coming. Right? We don't want to see what's coming. I want to uh, share a quote with you that I read a while ago about optimism. Admiral Jim Stockdale, you may or may not have heard of that name. So he was the highest ranking prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. So he was um, held in, uh, he was got captured and put in prison at what was affectionately termed as Hanoi Hilton. It's a prison in, during the Vietnam War where all the U.S. military were kept, uh, tortured, interrogated. So there was nothing Hilton about this uh, hotel prison. But anyway, and also you may know that um, the late John McCain, the governor, um, not the governor, the senator for uh, Arizona was also one of the prisoners at this place. But anyway, so Admiral Jim Stockdale, when he was released, uh, one of the reporters asked him, who did not make it out of this famous prison? His answer was very simple, the optimistic one. So this is what I'm trying to get back to. The optimistic one did not make it out because he said this, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our current, of your current reality. This is what scripture teaches us. We cannot hope to get ourselves off the hook or by being optimistic, thinking that there is no hell or heaven, hoping that we'll escape God's judgment without confronting the brutal fact of sin. It doesn't matter the size of sin or the degree of sin that you think that we've done mostly good things except one bad thing to God who is completely righteous and completely just. So even 0.0000001% of sin is still sin. So what Jim Stockdale said is don't confuse optimism with faith. Optimism ignores the brutal fact of our current reality, right? And it's the ending that we cannot afford to lose. We cannot afford to lose. So when we ignore the brutal fact of the current reality that we're in, that we're on this river, and the end is coming eventually, there's death and destruction, or there's eternal life. So faith prevails due to the discipline to confront the reality that we're in. So I'm saying all that to say that it's not about optimistic or pessimistic or thinking that uh, there's no hell or there's no heaven. We need to be confronted with the brutal fact of the reality that we're facing and make the appropriate choice. Optimism ignores the truth and the reality of hope dies. Truth is not always pleasant, right? Right? Truth is not always pleasant. I would love for all truth to be pleasant, but it's necessary for, to help us confront our current reality that we live in, the life that we live in. Knowing the truth will give us hope. This is, what is why it's important for us to tell others about this hope, a place of safety. Get off that raft. Going back to the example of the raft heading toward the cliff. So tell them to get off the raft. Tell the people that we know. Tell our families, our friends, and I'm always imploring you. I want to do this every week so then we will get to that place where we can tell people and understand the urgency, the urgency of why it's important for us to share the gospel. Because that, that was just a visual picture of what it looks like if we get off the raft, is to understand, repent, and turn toward God. That's what it looks like. So as people recognize the destructive path that they're on, they can turn away from that path and turn toward God. So you may be wondering why I'm saying this. And I wanted to encourage all of us 
That's why, because all of us have to do this. Not just church leaders or paid professionals or people in full-time ministry or other Christians. You know, that sharing the good news is, is for other Christians. We, we are the other Christians, if, if you guys are wondering. Who, I don't know who the other Christians are. That's us. That means all of us. is to tell our loved ones about the approaching dangers. And we tell people from, uh, from this place of love, it's not about hell and condemnation. It's from a place of love. It's because we don't want anybody to perish, right? Jesus is in us. We learn that through Colossians. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. So it's the same thing. We don't want anyone to perish. And as we, we know this, because as we turn to God and receive salvation, we understand and, and, and we get to experience the perfect and unconditional love. And I say unconditional because Jesus died, right? The most painful death. We talked about this a lot. Even knowing that some would not accept him, he willingly went to the cross. That's what unconditional means. And we know this through us receiving salvation and through us reconciling with God. So we have reconciled with the God of the universe. It happens because we ask Jesus to come into our lives and be our Lord and Savior. So reconciliation is, is a topic that we will talk about this morning in relation to our series on the assurance of our salvation. We're finally going to get to the topic that we're talking about, right? You, you're sitting there wondering, when is he going to get to the point? So our salvation doesn't, uh, it's, it's one of the things we talk about in terms of our salvation because our salvation doesn't just mean eternal life. It doesn't just mean uh, a place of safety. It doesn't, you know, using the illustration of the raft going, heading toward the cliff. Our salvation also means we have been reconciled with God. We have eternal life through our salvation and, and we have also been reconciled with God. What is reconciliation? And what does it mean to be reconciled? We may have heard that a lot, right? I have said that a lot. I'm sure you have heard many people say that a lot. But what does it really mean? Reconciliation. So according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, restore to friendship or harmony, to resolve or settle differences. However, reconciliation through our salvation, through the the Bible, is so, so, so much more than restoring relationship. It means we're now one with God. Let's talk about what it means to be one with God. It's important for us to truly understand and have a good handle on this, what it means to be one with God. Let's look at John 17. I'm going to reference John 17 a lot throughout this series. Uh, Jesus, he prayed for all of us, right, to be one with each other and one with him and the Father. John 17, verse 21 said, That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one, be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that's what Jesus prayed for, one with God. So through our salvation, we have been reconciled with God. As Jesus is one with the Father since the beginning of time, he is praying for us to be the same with each other and for us to be one with God. The, I, I was trying to find a, a, a good way to explain what it means with, in terms of the Trinity between three separate but one. I haven't seen or found any theologian that can adequately explain 
the Trinity, how you can have three separate entities, but they're all together as one. So that's the incredible um, difficulties for people to fully understand what it means to be one. But that's what Jesus wants us to know, that once we receive salvation, we're one with each other, and we're one with him, with God. So we're not one... We, we, we were once God's enemy, right? We learned that through the first half of this year about the book of Colossians. But now we're one with him. We have been reconciled with Jesus through, um, through his death on the cross. We learned this in Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. I'll, I'll read this again to remind us. Once you were alienated, alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. We have been reconciled. We're one now. God gave us a, a visual image of what it looks like in the biblical definition of reconciliation when he uh, created um, Eve from Adam's body. We know that, right? In Genesis, he took a part of uh, Adam's body and created Eve, and Adam understood this, and that's why when we talked a lot about how when we're married, we're one. So, Everything that Vanessa does well, I will take credit for it, unashamedly. And everything that I do well, which is many, many things, she can take credit. She can take credit for it also. And Adam knew this, right? He knew what this meant in the union of two people coming together because he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So they are two different people, but they are one through their marriage. They are different, but they are one because of where they came from. Another way to help us have a better understanding of what it means to be reconciled with God is the term grafted. You may have read the term grafted within the Bible. Paul used this in Ephesians, I think Ephesians 2, um, and in Romans, but also he used it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in me, the hope of glory. If you ever remember and want to learn and study something, study that one verse. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what it means to be one with God. So Paul used these, these verses, going back to uh, these verses, he used these verses to explain how we're now one with God. And we're going to go through that. Um, just take a few minutes to go through this. So as in we're an extension of him, right? So grafted means making two parts becoming one. It is as if making two, uh, making multiple parts from different origins, bring them together as one piece as one piece that had functioned as if it had always been one and whole piece. That's what grafted means. We've been grafted. We've become one with God. Another illustration of this uh, biblical reconciliation is, um, and it's easy to use for this church because we're very diverse, is using children of parents from different ethnicity. And it's an easy illustration for us. So, for example, I'm going to use us. I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm going to use us. Our children don't, I'm Asian. You may notice that. Vanessa's white. So our children is a mix of us, right? Our kids, our three kids, they are a mix of two different ethnicities. So medically speaking, using our children as an example, no one can separate out the Asian gene, right, DNA, and separate out the white body parts. I, not that I know of. I've tried to look it up. I don't think there's even a possibility. So the genes or DNA is a whole new, completely DNA, which is the result of two different DNAs coming together. 
So that's what it means to be one. So that's the same with us when we receive salvation. We have become one spiritually, spiritually with Jesus. Each of us have become a new person. That's what it means when you come across terms in the Bible as a new person. Spiritually, we have become someone new, someone different. So if you look at Liam, Rain, or Joe, they have a part of me and a part of Vanessa in them. And you cannot separate that out. You not, cannot cut that off and say, hey, I'm going to get rid of the Asian genes. I'm going to cut his arm off. That was, that was just joking. So I shouldn't have said that. I completely lost where I am now. Um, so this is the same with us when we receive salvation. We become one spiritually with Jesus. So this, this new person is a result of our, our old self being reconciled, being grafted in. As we invite Jesus to come in to our heart, he would come in and slowly, actually not slowly, instantaneously make us a new person, the God of the universe. So physically, we still look the same, right? But spiritually, spiritually, each of us have become a new person. Our spirit is now one with God, just as Jesus is one with the Father. That's amazing, isn't it? If we read scriptures and Jesus always talked about, um, if you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. I do the will of the Father. All that is yours is mine. All that is mine is yours. That's a complete oneness. And that is the same, the same with us when we are reconciled with Jesus. The moment that we receive salvation. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus prayed for that. Jesus wants us to know that. And we should know that. It is as if we're together with God. Using the example of grafting. We have always been, as soon as we receive salvation, it is as if we have always been one with God. A whole new and complete person. So I'm talking about spiritually. We're now one with God. So nothing and no one can ever, ever separate us. Obviously, well, nothing and no one can ever separate Jesus from the Father, right? We know that, right? So the same can be said about nothing and no one can ever separate us from God spiritually because once we're saved, we're one with God. Nothing can separate that spiritually. Using the verses from Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, so it said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, or any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love for us is inseparable, right? It's impossible to separate. We talked about it's impossible to separate the genes between the two. His love for us. Nothing can come between us and God's love. So the same can also be said regarding how we are one with God spiritually. Through our salvation, we have been reconciled with God. And nothing can separate us from him. Just as the example I gave about my kids, right? Nothing or no one, no powers, no height, no depth, now or in the future can ever separate the Asian genes from the white genes. Period. So when you hear the term, our body is a holy temple, that's what it means. Jesus is within us, spiritually. He's part of us. He's one with us. So, it, it, you know, people may like to joke about it, but that's what it means. It's our, whole, our body is a holy temple because Jesus is residing within us as soon as we receive salvation. And he said, become part of us spiritually. We have this. We've been reconciled with Jesus. 
actually, and we need this. He knows that we need this reconciliation. And thankfully, we have this because as Jesus being a part of us, to help us so we can be aware of what we need to do because now we're a new person. It's almost like we used to live in the jungles, right? We used to eat like animals. I'm just using an illustration. You guys don't eat like animals. None of us do. But like we used to eat like animals. Suddenly now we're in a civilized society where we actually use forks and knife or chopsticks. Chopsticks is better. Um, so, so now... But because we have been equipped and trained and he's with us, he's taken us back into the jungles to help other people learn how to eat with chopsticks and forks and knives. So that's why we need him to show us the way. And he's always with us. He's a part of us now. That's what reconciliation means. He's one with us. Always. Always. So when we think God is not around or he's, um, he's not speaking to us or he doesn't care about us, or, it is not true. He's always with us. Always. Because we're one with him. Using the example of grafting and how our kids is, you cannot separate the two. He's one with us. Always. We've been reconciled to him. He's with us. He will not leave us. It is not in his nature or in his character to leave us. He cannot leave us. Because that's not who he is. If you think, not you. It happens to me too. If, if we feel like he's not talking, or if we feel like he, he's not around. It's probably because he is talking, but we're not listening. Or he's, he's waiting for us to do the last thing that he told us to do when we're asking him to tell us what, what the end result is going to be. Or he's, we're trying to know what it's going to be five steps down the road. He's saying, hey, one thing at a time. Because if I tell you what's going to happen down the road, you're going to be scared out of your mind. And you will not even take one step. So what I'm saying, this applies to me too, by the way. So I'm not saying that to you guys. So we're reconciled with God through our salvation in Jesus. He is always with us, always, even when we don't feel like he is, even when we're facing tough times, even when we're like having, you know, no sleep for like three days, even when we're frustrated and angry and we can't overcome the things that we're trusting for, he is still with us. He's always with us because we've been reconciled with him through our salvation in Jesus. So my friends, I want to encourage you guys, know that. Don't just think it. Don't just hope it. Don't just think, oh, maybe he is today, Sunday, because I'm worshiping, but tomorrow, since I'm going back to work, I'm surrounded by non-Christians, he's not really there. He's always with us, all the time. He's always with us. And the, the, the awesome part is, he's always with us now, and forever. We need to know that. Remind ourselves that. And it's, that's why there's a, the importance of a local church so we can be around each other and remind each other Jesus is within us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. We're always one with God. We're one with each other. We're now one with him, now and forever. So the moment we receive salvation, we become one with God. That's amazing, isn't it? There isn't a process of becoming one. He's not kind of like taking one step in and it's like, ooh, this is kind of dirty. I'm going to take a step out until you clean yourself. He's all in. That's who he is. He's all in. He's one with us. It's just us. We're the ones that are thinking, well, I've done some bad things, so I don't think Jesus is here. He's all in. We need to, tell, we need to know that. There, is, there isn't a process of becoming one. There is a process of knowing him more and understanding 
how we're changing through Jesus. There is a process for that, and we can talk about that in, the, uh, in a couple weeks. But in terms of being one, reconciling with Jesus, it's instant and automatic. Automatically and instantly, we're one with God. The moments that we receive salvation, accept that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. The God of the universe is within us. Come on. Who would not want that? Anyone? Okay. Anyway, it's, it's, like, it's like when you watch a Marvel comic movie, right? Okay, I'm going to go back to a movie. And you know there's an incredible superhero that no one can defeat. Would you not want to be on his side? Well, I, I would. So anyway, so let's go back to the topic of reconciliation. So when we have salvation, we not only have eternal life. When we were talking about, oh, we're not playing it safe. We not only have eternal life, we're instantly become one with God. We have been reconciled with him. He's in us, and we are in him. We need to know that. We need to constantly tell ourselves that because our minds constantly tell us that we're not worthy, that because we've done some bad things, we're not worthy of having the almighty God being one with us. Don't let guilt and shame take away the fact that we're one with Jesus and he's always with us. We need to be assured of that understanding because we will need him when we come across life's obstacles, struggles, lies, doubts, accusations, manipulations, shame, etc., etc. It's not an if, but a when. Our minds will play tricks on us, saying that we're not worthy. It's a when. It may not happen right now, but it will happen later today or tomorrow or the next day. It will happen. So we need to remind ourselves that Jesus, he's with us. We're one with him. And we know that we have a role to play yet in this life. That's why he's in us. So and the reason for Jesus, um, and, and that's why we take us to John um, 17 verse 15, is my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I don't know if you guys have read that, I've seen it, I'll skim over it, but let me read that again. My prayer is not, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So that means we're supposed to be here. He's one with us because there are things that we should be doing. Things that the, cre- the creator, the mighty king, have called us to do, which is what? Commission us to do to advance his kingdom because we're now one with him. What is all of ours is his, ours his is, is ours, right? His kingdom is our kingdom. He's calling us to advance the kingdom. And that's why the reason, that's why Jesus prayed for us to not be taken out of this world. Otherwise, after you receive salvation, we should go do some, some extreme sport like cliff diving, right? Hang gliding, parachuting, climbing high-rise buildings, shark hunting, hunting lion with a spear. Do something with a low percentage rate of survival after you become a Christian. Because this way, right, you get to go to heaven right away when you die. You don't have to put up with anything else here. I had a friend that used to joke around, like, once people become a Christian, you just take them out in the back and shoot them. But you can't do that because Jesus is praying that my prayer is not that you take them out of this world. So then there's things for us to do. He has called us to do. That's why he's with us. That's why he's one with us. There's a reason for that. I want you to know I'm one with you because you are going to embark on a journey that I have specifically called you to. 
and I'm going to be with you now and always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you will protect them. There's so much in that verse right there. And this is something that we'll go more in depth next week. So the point for this morning is to remind all of us through our salvation, not only do we have eternal life, but we have become one with God, right? We have access to him and we will always have direct access to him, always. We don't need to go through anyone to hear from God. We are always with him. He's always with us. He wants to talk to us every day, every moment, every second. Keep that in mind and know that. Not just guess or think it. Know it.